Welcome to episode number 174, Broken Vessels and Celestial Life. I'm your host, Damon Soka. I will tell you that the last couple of weeks I have certainly felt the reference to broken vessels, Elder Holland so eloquently taught during conference several years ago. From COVID to a serious episode of depression, I again fully understand how fragile the mortal body can be and just how the chemistry of the body can have dramatic effects without our consent. In passing through another one of these moments of darkness, I was reminded again just how difficult it is to see ourselves as we truly are and can be. Now I'm going to warn you that today's discussion will be doctrinal and deep, and you might want to listen to this podcast a couple of times. So I'm going to address a topic or a subject that reoccurs frequently in the mind of those who have mental illness, and even in the minds of those who care for them. Is celestial life and exaltation truly a reality for those who suffer from mental and emotional illness? Now the answer is yes, but when you have suffered, or even been a friend or family member to someone who has suffered, that answer can quickly turn yes to it's complicated and I don't believe so. Personally, from one who suffered from bipolar for a significant length of time and now suffers from bouts of moderate depression, I can say that at times the answer to that question has felt like a definitive no to me. I have known parents, family, and friends who have watched brilliant youth and young adults succumb to the dark powers of bipolar and then waste away in addiction, wander on strange roads, or even resolve to ending their life. And the same could be said for depression, the destructive trail that can sometimes be left in the wake of bipolar and depression can leave feelings of mistrust, misunderstanding, pain, and suffering. And I fully understand that the afflicted person is not the only individual who suffers when bipolar and depression seem to take over the mind and the soul of another person that they love. I know many who wonder if their precious child spouse, friend, will ever be able to stand perfect and whole before the Savior when their day of judgment comes. So today I will start with what Elder, El- Elder Holland stated so well in the October 2013 conference. Quote, I testify of the Holy Resurrection, that unspeakable cornerstone of the gift of the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. With the Apostle Paul, I testify that that which was sown in incorruption will one day be raised in incorruption, and that which was sown in weakness will ultimately be raised in power. I bear witness of that day when loved ones, whom we knew to have disabilities in mortality, will stand before us glorified and grand, breathtakingly perfect in body and mind. What a thrilling moment that will be. I do not know whether we will be happier for ourselves that we have witnessed such a miracle or happier for them that they are fully perfect and finally free at last. Until that hour when Christ's consummate gift is evident to us all, may we live by faith, hold fast to hope, and show compassion one of another." The real question is why believe such a reality given the many individuals, especially those afflicted with bipolar who have found strange roads, mortal darkened pathways, and at times suicidal ends. What gives me, and even Elder Holland, so much hope? 
Now I would most certainly say that the atonement of Jesus Christ does, but you already knew that. And while that answer is helpful, sometimes that global atonement answer doesn't necessarily calm the doubtful feelings of the heart. Many times we need more and to understand the how and why. My personal hope comes from a deeper understanding of mercy and the laws that govern its use and application. Yes, there are laws that govern mercy. That shouldn't be shocking to anyone who lives the gospel. There are certainly actions we must take and requirements we must meet to be able to fully claim mercy. Mercy is not grace, although the gift of grace allows mercy to be given, because in the end, we really don't deserve the healing powers of the atonement, no matter how much good we do. Grace is certainly another principle of the gospel, and it too has laws and requirements, but today we are going to talk about mercy, and how that applies to our bipolar and major depressive disorder situations, and why I have such hope for those who suffer. When you talk about the requirements of mercy, you have to talk about justice. Justice is the policing of the laws of celestial life. After all, the celestial kingdom is, a, is celestial because its people obey celestial law, not because of the mansions and golden paved roads. Without justice, laws really do not exist, for a law that is not enforced in reality does not exist. Justice is what allows for life and everything that we have, see, and are, and it is what makes God who he is. Justice allows God to be predictable, consistent, and fair. All spiritual beings within the laws of God know that he is just and will be fair in all his actions and decisions, and this allows them to rely upon him, and this keeps all things in order. Obviously, every law of God has a design and purpose. There exists nothing arbitrary, ad hoc, or capricious about the laws of heaven. Justice is the foundation of heaven. However, justice has some issues in the sense that it cannot bend to the wise of a broken law. Justice is fair, and when a law is broken, the punishment is enforced. And this means it, that it doesn't matter the circumstances or understanding of the individual. When you really think about it, Justice alone appears cold-hearted and unforgiving. How can you punish someone who fully knows the law and one who does not fully know the law in the same way? Justice, in some ways, really doesn't seem fair. This is where mercy enters. Mercy says justice can have its day and its required punishments, but we are going to allow for a vicarious intervention and a suspension of justice for a period of time to allow for learning. This means that another can pay the price for the lawbreaker, and justice must allow for it. Justice has been paid. Now justice will say and turns and says that that is all fine, but you, Mercy, still have a problem. How do I, Justice, trust someone who has broken a law? How can that individual be trusted not to break the law again? They broke it once, and there is no guarantee that they won't break it again. Breaking a law makes them more susceptible to breaking it again. Mercy then says, I fully understand justice. 
I will invoke requirements so that once I am done teaching the individual, I can fully state that they will be obedient to celestial laws. There will be no difference from the one who has never broken the law to the one who has learned through breaking it and submitting to the requirements of repentance. Justice then says, fine with me. If you can assure me, then I will accept the vicarious intervention. However, that will take a very unique individual, for that individual could never break even one of the laws of heaven, or he would be disqualified and untrustworthy. However, the same individual must fully comprehend breaking the law, or sin as it is called, and fully comprehend how to rehabilitate the person. In addition, justice requires a just remuneration for the pain, suffering, and damage caused to the victim. This additional price must be paid and accounted for. That individual must make reconciliation for everyone and everything, and then sort out all the various accounts, payable and receivable, for each individual. Mercy says, fully understood, and I already have that person ready to accomplish the task. Jehovah qualifies and will complete the required payment and then institute a set of laws and requirements to obtain forgiveness, justification, and then sanctification, mercy. That is the basis for the atonement. You see the requirements for justification, which is the payment for sin, and sanctification, which is the assurance that the individual will no longer commit sin, have been settled long ago through this eternally intertwined agreement between justice, mercy, and an atonement. The question is, what are the requirements for mercy? And what entitles a person to justification and sanctification? I realize again that entitled is not the right word, in a sense that we really don't deserve it. Mercy is a loving gift from the Savior, a gift that has some requirements. While the gift is free to us in the sense that nothing bars us from obtaining it, it is not free in the sense that we can ignore the ordained requirements. Now, why is this discussion so important to bipolar and depression? Because it is mercy's requirements that give, it, give me so much hope. Mercy's requirements begin with the idea that it really isn't fair to punish someone that doesn't understand the laws of justice whether they have never heard them or they cannot comprehend them. The prophets have clearly stated that mercy applies to all those who have, had, who have not had the gospel preached to them or who cannot comprehend it. Mercy also requires that all who did not receive such teachings in mortality must receive them and accept them in the spirit world, and in so doing must eventually accept all the covenants associated with the gospel. No one obtains celestial life without the covenants. Even children who died before the age of eight will eventually take upon themselves these covenants. They will just do so during the millennium. That is a requirement of mercy. Now when we say that all must receive them and accept them, it means that the requirement of mercy is that we must eventually learn celestial laws and learn to live them perfectly. Mercy does not give anyone unwillingly unwilling to, to fully live celestial laws, entrance into celestial life. It cannot. Justice would not allow it. 
However, that is the simplicity of mercy. Enter into covenants, obey commandments, and learn to be celestial through repentance, and mercy will fully cover the accounting errors. And yes, we must repent and ask for forgiveness. But again, that is also part of the commandments. Now for that part of mercy that truly gives me hope when we discuss mental illness. One of the major benefits that mercy provided, and where justice often fell short, was the ability to review the why of the sin and the individual's understanding of gospel truths. It makes a big difference to mercy if I kill somebody purposely or by accident. It also makes a big difference if I understand the gravity and nature of murder, meaning I comprehend why it is wrong. You could even divide the accidental case of killing someone in an accident that was caused by reckless behavior or by simple wrong time, wrong place. What we see with mercy is that the Lord can truly consider each individual sin based on our knowledge, experience, and understanding at the moment the sin is committed. Mercy can balance the scales, as it were, so that the punishment and the blessing fit the action. When we consider mercy from this perspective, the issues surrounding bipolar and depression become far clearer when it comes to obtaining celestial life. First, let's understand that when we decide between what is right and what is wrong, we use our feelings and emotions. Yes, there is some rational influence, but generally we do what feels right and what we are motivated to do. Our emotions and feelings are the driving forces in our lives. We rely on guilt to tell us when we've done wrong, and we rely on peace and happiness to define what is right. This is especially true when we consider spiritual and moral laws. What we feel to be true most often is what causes us to act in specific ways. As I have said frequently, we are emotional beings, and it is our emotional nature that drives our actions, with some rational influence. Now, as we grow in the gospel and understanding of the truth, our emotional nature, or our driving force, will alter to accept that truth. This is especially true as we use the gift of the Holy Ghost, which changes our nature to include the truth we have learned. Now, the change of nature, or change of heart, as it is referred to in the scriptures, is this process by which we come to the knowledge of truth through the Holy Spirit over a period of time, and it changes our core nature to include that truth. This is how the people of King Benjamin were able to say that they no longer desired to sin. In that case, through careful preparation and a miracle, their natures, or their core spiritual natures, were changed. That is the same process we use today, preparation and small miracles. But our change is often much slower and less perceptible. And it is incredibly important to fully understand how our natures are changed and how our emotions drive us to act according to that nature. Now let's talk a little bit about these mortal bodies. Mental or emotional illness causes chemistry in the body to alter our physical emotions. In my experience, this altering of the physical chemistry in the body and the brain causes the emotions we experience or feel as depression and mania. However, I do not believe that this physical altering always or ever extends into the spiritual body, meaning our spiritual nature or core understanding of truth tends to stay unaltered, while our physical emotional nature 
changes to the negative chemistry of the illness. The conflict between the spiritual core and physical chemistry for me has been regularly apparent in conflicting feelings and desires. That conflict, I will admit, also causes serious pain and suffering to occur. It also causes a great deal of confusion in the mind and heart. It raises questions about belief, truth, and doubt about the core elements of who we are as a person. When you cannot feel truth, confusion reigns in the soul like pounding waves in a violent storm. Also, this is important to note. It is very difficult to distinguish between the physical body's emotions and spiritual emotions. That is because our spirit causes emotions to rise in the physical body. Our spirit is patterned after our body and uses similar pathways to direct emotion and desire. However, our mortal body's chemistry can be altered by genetics, trauma, and other experiences and run contrary to our core spiritual direction. Now, we recognize this as mental illness or the feelings of pains, darkness, and anxieties that come with the illness. My personal belief is that these feelings arise because our spirit and our mortal body are running contrary to one another. The spirit is directing one set of emotions and the physical body is directing an entirely opposing set of emotions. That conflict causes the pain and suffering in the body. I also believe that when we abandon our core spiritual truths, that conflict eases and we can actually feel somewhat better because our chemistry and spirit are in alignment. However, this abandonment will cause a significant increase in distress when the illness abates and we will feel truly lost. Abandoning, abandoning our spiritual core beliefs is never the answer, even when it might bring a peace in the chemistry. Our core beliefs will eventually return to us as they always do, and the abandonment that once felt good will tear us apart emotionally and physically. Now, we know and understand that depression and mania cause serious issues with the identification of truth or our core spiritual feelings and the maintenance of those feelings and emotions. When your physical chemistry and spiritual core conflict and you are in significant emotional distress, short-term solutions can quickly become enticing because you can't distinguish the truth of them. Your ability to identify what is true and differentiate between good and evil can and does become skewed. Rationally, you know what is right, but emotionally you cannot feel it. Rationally, you know what you felt in the past, but in the moment, you cannot feel the same message or emotional drive and direction. It is not that your core emotions have changed, but that the altering of the physical chemistry impedes those emotional messages from the spirit and changes the emotional reality of the moment. There is often deep confusion and indecision as to what is right as you can sometimes feel both the negative messages of the body and the more mild messages of the spirit. The spirit speaks in whispers, and often the chemistry of the body speaks with a megaphone. And so it is very easy to become lost in what you really believe and trust. What is interesting about all of this is that if you were to remove the altered chemistry brought on by the illness, I can tell you that the correct motivations, emotions, and desires 
your spiritual core emotions would return almost immediately. I know because I have experienced just that. Doubting the existence of God to full emotional belief in a matter of days or weeks. When the illness is not present in, this, in the sense that it isn't altering the emotional balance, truth appears quite clearly. But when the illness is active, truth really becomes far more subjective and confusing. Understanding this nature of the illness is important to the understanding of mercy. We know mercy applies when individuals cannot understand or have not been taught the truths of the gospel. Mental and emotional illness places individuals in a strange quasi-world of knowing the gospel but unable to feel the truth of it. Rationally, the gospel is understood, but emotionally it is not accessible. Because we are emotional beings who rely upon our feelings to direct our actions and understanding of wrong and right, we can end up choosing poorly. As the illness continues to affect our lives day after day and week after week, our moral and spiritual decision-making can become increasingly difficult. When everything you do feels like sin, in the case of depression, or everything you do feels right, in the case of mania, your sense of wrong and right can quickly become engulfed in a world of unknowns and doubt. You can hold on rationally for a time, but even then, without confirmation of wrong or right, by emotional understanding, your footing becomes weak and without substance. In a sense, you can become emotionally unable to recognize what is right and wrong. When our minds and emotions are unable to function in a normal sense with our spiritual nature, we become temporarily unable to distinguish spiritually and emotionally what is true. We become blinded, in a sense, from the truth. It is, yes, a temporary blinding, but often these dark and difficult moments lead to strange roads, filthy waters, and suicidal tendencies. But all these pathways are driven by altered temporary feelings and emotions. These roads can even feel right and true. Suicide can feel right when your emotions have been sufficiently altered by your physical body for a period of time. Is suicide ever the right path? Of course not. We know that. But when your emotional state is altered, so is your judgment of wrong and right. I believe that many individuals who commit suicide have done so fully believing that it was the right decision. Often suicidal individuals become calm and peaceful just before they commit suicide. How can peace and suicide exist together? That is the emotional darkness and reality of the illness. But it also demonstrates something important, that the individual is not in the emotional state to be able to choose right and wrong. They are, in a sense, identical to children who cannot comprehend good from evil. This is a condition covered by the mercies of Christ and his atonement. So I personally don't believe that individuals committing suicide because of depression or bipolar will be held accountable for that act. That is how I view mental illness and celestial life. The temporary blindness and confusion, along with the suffering and pain, will be taken into account when the judgment occurs in our lives. And the Savior will not hold those who suffer fully accountable for actions taken while under the influence of mental and emotional illness. I hold on to this promise of mercy and the Savior's promise that he will take our yoke upon him. 
All of those moments of suffering, darkness, and pain will be made up through the mercies of the atonement of Christ. I would like to end today with the same quote that I used actually to start this episode from Elder Holland. Listen carefully again. I testify of the holy resurrection, that unspeakable cornerstone gift of the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. With the Apostle Paul, I testify that that which was sown in corruption will one day be raised in incorruption, and that which was sown in weakness will ultimately be raised in power. I bear witness of that day when loved ones, whom we knew to have disabilities in mortality, will stand before us glorified and grand, breathtakingly perfect in body and mind. What a thrilling moment that will be. I do not know whether we will be happier for ourselves that we have witnessed such a miracle or happier for them that they are fully perfect and finally free at last. Until that hour when Christ's consummate gift is evident to all of us, may we live by faith, hold fast to hope, and show compassion one of another. Until next week, may the mercies of atonement, of Christ's atonement, flow into your life, and may you find peace, and may you do your part so that the Lord can do his.